guys. Welcome to the Student of Money podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Niemeyer. The mission of Student of Money is to connect listeners like you to a community of like-minded individuals to help you achieve your goal of personal financial freedom through entrepreneurship, investing, real estate, and professional development. This is episode 30. All right, guys, we've hit 30 podcasts. So I thought we would kind of mix it up a little bit today, and we're going to rebroadcast an interview I did last week. I was actually a guest on someone else's podcast, a podcast called Investing Stuff You Should Know, and the host name is Johnny Nelson. I totally encourage you to go out, check out this Investing Stuff You Should Know podcast. The guy is based out of Minneapolis, Minnesota. It's a great podcast. I met Johnny through another mastermind that we're both involved in, and he thought it'd be a great idea if I came on his show. I think the interview turned out great. You may have already heard it. I've already been promoting his podcast, but this week, I'm just going to replay it right here. It's 43 minutes long, so check it out. Okay, everyone here at the Investing Stuff You Should Know podcast, we have an exciting guest with us today, Jeff uh, Niemeyer. He is a local, well, Midwest guy. I'm a Midwest guy here. There was, so I see he's an engineer. He's got a background in different things. He's done real estate for over a decade now and with his hand in a lot of different things. He's part of a mastermind I'm part of. He's got done real estate and funds. So Jeff, thank you for being here. Thank you for showing up. Hey, thank you, Johnny. Thanks for having me. You know, I always like talking to like-minded individuals and uh, I'm an engineer. You're an engineer. You seem to like engineers. I do. I do. Yes. Uh, obviously, the people that are listening to this on the podcast can't see uh, Jeff's uh, T-shirt, but it says "student of money," and I love that. I just love that as a uh, that mindset. Um, and I also am learning to become a student of money as well, a student of finance, a student of money, a student of how these things work. That it kind of runs in the background. They control so much. We definitely don't want to worship money or have money become, you know, kind of our, uh, you know, guiding or star, but it is a valuable tool for us to learn and that we need to learn and should learn. So Jeff, uh, tell us about why should, why should we become a student money? So again, first and foremost, I guess, is the word student. And I really wanted to, when I was branding and taking a look at where am I going to come up with a branding name? Um, I, I, I'm, I'm always a student. I'm always growing. I'm always educating myself and I'm always trying to grow to the next level. So it, it just takes a lot of continual knowledge and a continual growth. Just when I think I figured something out, I learned something new all the time. So I'm a student just like you and just like your listeners. And to me, that's the number one takeaway, if anything, today is become a student and continue to learn because it's a lifelong process of learning. And when I say student of money, it's just student of finance, student of becoming financially free, but you're always a student. So, you know, I'm not necessarily the teacher. I'm not the guru. I'm not the professor. I'm not the one teaching you. I am the one, I'm a student alongside everyone else. I just might be a little farther down the road. And then there's people that are farther down the road than me. That's so good, man. And I think we both realize, and you can uh, back me up or have your own take on this, is that um, when we stepped into the space, you know, I was a, I was worked, I worked in a W two as an engineer for a while, and I te- stepped into the space, and it just 
pointed out to me how much I needed to be to re-become or rededicate myself to becoming a student, an active student, a continual learner. So yes, we like no one in, you know, in any adult, like there, yes, there's always things to learn and training and things like that. But I think we both have realized we actually need to become, love it, love the learning process and love, uh, you know, you know, love that, uh, that whole aspect of that is because it really is a, a constant growth. If you're not growing, you're not, if you're, if you're comfortable, you're not growing. So we typically put our ourselves in places of, of being uncomfortable. Would you agree with that? Exactly. You got to make yourself uncomfortable because when you get comfortable, you start to get complacent and you start to relax. And, and especially for me, it's really easy for me to get complacent because, you know, I'm technically financially free. I've got enough passive income coming in as Robert Kiyosaki would say, I'm kind of out of the rat race per se, is that, I've got enough cash flow coming in, but I don't want to be passive. I, I, you get bored. You get, I'm, I'm a, I'm a lover of deals and I like to look at deals and I'm kind of a deal junkie. I like to look at real estate. I like to continue. Um, the, there's the example of, I have, if I'm in the center and they spoke on a wheel, I want multiple streams of income. So I'm always constantly creating multiple streams of income. So if one starts to dry up, then you have another income stream that kind of takes its place. So what happens is, is when people retire, we'll just briefly touch on this. When people retire, they go down to one income, right? And they're kind of, uh, yeah, I hear it all the time from renters is I'm on a fixed income. It's because they have no other way to create another revenue stream. And what I want, I don't want to diversify my retirement. I want to diversify my income streams. I want multiple streams of income. And in real estate, you might just simply diversify by maybe having student housing. Maybe it's traditional housing. Maybe it's storage units. Maybe, uh, you know, and you can also diversify among uh, in different regions and in different cities. And every time I add another tenant, I'm diversifying. So I'm serving more people uh, as well. So, you know, your income is directly tied to the number of people that you serve. So That's if you- true. If you serve more people, you're going to make more money eventually at the end of the day. So, you know, that's what I kind of look at is how can I diversify not my retirement portfolio, but how can I diversify my income streams and create more income streams and diversify those and then also serve more people? That's a fantastic point, man. Uh, On the pre-talk that we had on before we hit record here. You mentioned how um, a deal, a large deal, got away from you, and uh, we can we'll we'll circle back to some like a couple other things. You're actually a managing principal of JB Capital Management, and there was a founder and managing member of another company before that. But um, uh, I know you're a fund manager, and uh, explain to the folks uh, how how you got you got this big deal and it got away, and I guess it was probably a capital raising thing that kind of snagged you. So uh, tell the folks kind of that story there and how you, and why you decided to pivot towards uh, a fund and, and that type of thing. Just, just touch on that. Right. So just getting started in real estate, um, I didn't have any money, just like most people that are probably listening. Or the other problem is if you do have money, the money's already deployed, right? So I don't have it, you know, once I get some money, I turn around and buy another property and all of a sudden now it's deployed. So we, I originally first started out going to my friends and family network. 
uh, for my first couple deals. And then that ended up turning into syndications where you've got a, a specific entity or a specific property that you're going after. And, and I just kind of expanded my friends and net, uh, friends and family network a little bit and got some investors and got into those. So I was able to bring down kind of small and medium sized properties, but there was a point in time where there was a very large 340 unit apartment complex. It was student housing and with student housing, they go by the number of bedrooms. Mm, so it was wow. such, right. It's, it's not number of doors. It's number of bedrooms because that's yeah. the students. So it was 752 beds, 340 units. Uh, where, 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 was it, where was that deal, Jeff, by the way? It was in my hometown of Cedar Rapids, Iowa, actually. Okay. It was right next door. So uh, one of my other companies was providing service to them. So I was kind of a vendor to them. And uh, so I was working alongside them. I knew them really well. And it was actually owned as a tick tenants in common, right? So there's 27 investors across the United States. And I don't want to get too deep into the weeds and tell you, but um, this is right after 2008. Okay. So from a time frame, uh, the property was, was upside down and was uh, cash flow negative and it was headed towards a foreclosure. So I was uh, trying to um, pull this property out of foreclosure. So it was originally sold in 2007 for $26 million, just to put that in perspective. Yeah. Uh, and they got a $16 million mortgage. And uh, at that point in time, they had $14 million mortgage. And when it started to go into foreclosure, the owners kind of fought it uh, successfully, actually. And they negotiated with the bank for a discounted payoff of $10 million. So the bank was going to lose $4 million on the mortgage. And you could basically take this property that last time it sold was $26 million. You could pick yeah. it up for a cool $10 million. Okay. <laughs> cool $10 million. No problem. Yeah. yeah. So I had gotten, I like herding cats, 26 ticks to get them all on board, but I had them all on board. Uh, and I lined up bridge financing, uh, for 7 million. I just had to raise three more million dollars. I bet and, you feel really good about that, man. You saw this mass, like this huge property, the discount, there's, there's a tremendous discount from just different things outside, you know, their control. Right. And, and then you got, you got three quarters, more or less three quarters of it raised. And like, and I mean, I, I would have been like, I totally got this. Like if I, if I got this far, then I can totally raise the 3 million. Right. 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 I mean, so it kind of goes back and well, I guess we'll talk about this. I thought I had a smoking hot deal, right. Right in my backyard, total control. Uh, I just need to raise $3 million. And, and of course you think, first of all, the existing 26 owners wanted to put money in, but they already had money in and they didn't want to like double down and lose even more. Um, so right. they were very gun shy to put yeah. more money into the deal. And, uh, they also wanted to know whether or not I was for real, right. Am I the white knight savior that can come in and, and fix this deal? Did you have a bunch of, much of a track record in that, in that, in that, I mean, I guess you said you had kind of small to medium size. So they were, I, they were yeah. a little bit. I, I was a local guy, right? I mean, as a local real estate investor and, and the 26 ticks that own this, they were, there were only two of them actually lived in my state of Iowa. Um, a couple of them were, you know, obviously big in California, big in New York, big in Florida, Texas, 
a lot of the West Coast, East Coast. There's a bunch of people in Nevada. So I had a core of about five of them that were really on board with me. I flew out to Vegas and and met with one of the owners and talked to them. So, you know, I told them like what I needed to do. So I really had a core of five who was like on the, the committee for yeah. this. That, basically the, the board. Yeah. Yeah. So the board, the board that ran this. So I basically said, I don't need to convince all of them. I really only needed to convince the board and these five. Yeah. And once I got them on board, everybody else would fall in line. Right. Uh, and that's generally how it worked. But so I had to raise three more million dollars and I raised the problem was, is it was a foreclosure. And this was the entire problem is we had a very short window. And so I lined up the bridge financing um, and then I got about halfway through the raise and I was about a million short. Yes. And, and then, you know, you start to get to that desperate where, you know, I got 30 days to raise a million and I've talked to absolutely everyone. I was talking to people that I never thought I would, I would, you know, they're like, well, who's Jeff Niemeyer? And I'd be like, yeah, but I control this property's destiny in the next 30 days. And they're like, let's have lunch. So, you know, it's kind of funny because they knew about the property, not necessarily yeah. me, right? Yeah. Oh, so, I see. Okay, yes. Yeah, yeah. Like the local developers, the local company, you know, I was, um, so it looked like that deal was going to fall through. And then I got a hold of a REIT, Real Estate Investment Trust, out of, yeah. um, out of Sioux City, out of uh, Northwest Iowa. And they're like, hey, I tell you what, we got 10 million and we're going to bring 10 million all cash. And we still want you in the deal. We want you for property management. You, we want you to have a piece of the pie. You brought us this deal. Um, we're going to bring this into the REIT. And so they sent me a letter of intent. I had it all wrapped up with a bow on it, nice and pretty. But just like everything I say with real estate, the deal isn't done until it's closed. Yes. Right? Right? Like I'm closing on a house here on the 30th. And I keep telling her the deal isn't done until we sit down and sign and it's closed. You know, something yes. is going to happen. So what happened was, is he gave me a call about a week later and he said, the, uh, re hey, the, the lead REIT guy. Yeah. The REIT, yeah. the manager of the REIT. And he said, uh, you know, Hey, you got bad news for you. I got the phone call. You're not going to want, he says, our attorney said 60 days just isn't enough time to get this deal done. And we have to back out. And he says, uh, we really need about 90 days. And ideally oh we God. would do, ideally we would look at a deal like this in like five months. And I'm like, no, you know, we kind of, cause this was going through the court systems and we had yes. judges signing off on everything. Yeah. And so it fell through and it just crushed me. And I had to get on a conference what, call. If I could just ask real quick, Jeff, what year was this? So this was 2014. Okay. Okay. So, well, I mean, not, I mean, it's recent, but st I mean, like a little, there's a little time has elapsed between that and the pain, right? Or the pain of that and now. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But that was at that, that was my biggest deal up to that point, right? For sure. So, yeah. and, and, and this was a property that was going to basically start everything and it just killed me. And I had to get on a conference call with 26 other owners yes. and basically tell him, tell them that, you know, the property's lost. It's going to go through, um, that's going to go through the foreclosure. And we had already ponied up like a hundred thousand dollars to like 
delay it 30 days. Yeah. And, and we'd already put some money into the deal. So we were going to lose money as well. And, uh, so that was very painful for me and it, it was a teaching moment. And I think everything that we talk about is a teaching moment. So what, you know, what, were, the, what were the top three things you learned from that rather well, unfortunate experience? <laughs> First and foremost is I'm never going to lose a deal again because of, I can't raise enough money. Yeah. Uh, the second one was, uh, hurting cat, hurting cats, hurting those ticks, tenants in common. Um, when you, I, and I can talk for a whole nother podcast on just what the tenants of common structure is like and really who's in charge and who's running things and how, these investors were trying to do this because they all 1031 exchanged into the property, which is a right. whole nother topic. So, uh, so the ticks and the, the, the third thing I would probably say, uh, what do you do when you lose money on a deal? You know, what, what, what do you learn from that and how do yes. you move forward? And, and, uh, how do you deal with that? Because it made me very gun shy on to do a big deal like that again, because I certainly didn't want to go through that again. And uh, I think we've had such a great investing time over the last 10 years that people don't know what it's like to like have a rough economy, have a downturn in the market. So, you know, we had the crash of 2008 and then of which was residential. And then from like 20, 2009 to, you know, that about that 2013, 2014 is when the commercial properties started to go down. Um, but I also saw opportunity. So the good side of that was if I could have gotten that deal, there was 40 other deals in a portfolio across the oh United States that I could have wow. picked up. Right. Wow. And, and, and that was huge. So I was, so it kind of motivated, made it motivated me to really figure this out. So yeah. that's kind of when I started on my journey of figuring, really diving into the syndication and then really saying, I really need to do a fund versus a syndication. Yeah. So I started going down the route of now you're in the route of securities and sec. So, and then it's a whole nother beast that you really have to learn. Yeah. That's what, did, kind of, what did what did you start your first fund, Jeff? So, my first fund that I would call a fund. I mean, my first fund was actually 2007 when I got my friends and family together. By the legal definition of a fund, yeah. it, it was enough. a syndication. Hmm. But my first true syndication was actually 2011. Okay. Um, where I raised I raised money wasn't that much. Like I only raised like 120 thousand dollars to buy a, uh, a 16 plex with like five other people, um, bought a 16 plex that was going through foreclosure, bought it for $615,000. And you got to remember these prices are Iowa prices, right? Yeah. This isn't a top 50 market, but these are Iowa <laughs> prices. So I bought it for 615 and it appraises right now. I still own the property. I, it appraises for about a million dollars. Um, and, and I'm a major owner in that one too. It was a no money down deal for me, but that was one of my first syndications. Um, and then it kind of just snowballed from there. And then, Amen. you know, again, I could take down these smaller deals, but I couldn't take down the big deals because my network wasn't big enough. Absolutely. And then, and then somebody told me, you know, your biggest investor, you don't even know yet. So you have to keep growing and creep keep expanding. So your friends and family network will only get you so far. For you sure. Need, you need to get out of your comfort zone and you need to talk to more people. 
And, and that's what why is if, define, define your comfort zone right now, Jeff, like, what is that? So if, if I was to challenge you, like, cause it just, is, this is Jeff's comfort zone. What is out? What, what is just outside of that box right now for Jeff? Well, this podcast is outside of my comfort zone, hey, you know, that's to be fair. quite honest. I mean, yes. you know, public speaking and talking to people, a lot of people are not comfortable with that. Yes. Uh, I'm looking at maybe doing real estate development. That's way out of my comfort zone. I typically buy pre-existing properties. I don't do development, but for some reason, I kind of have an itch to do development, but yes. that's a whole nother arena and it's kind of outside my comfort zone. But, you know, I always tell people, give me six months and I'm going to learn everything there is about it and I'm going to feel comfortable. So stretching like that is good as long as I, you know, there's also risk mitigation, right? I'm 53 years old. I'm not going to do anything uh, that's too crazy. That's going to, well, and we also structure it that way too. So from an asset management point as well, yeah. but, uh, that I'm not going to bet everything on one deal. So that's I'm true. very, when they talk about looking for alpha, it's getting the best return with the lowest amount of risk. So I'm very risk adverse, but yeah. I'm also looking for high returns. I'm looking for that alpha. And I think that's a point. That's an important point Jeff, to make. And, um, that is, a uh, the more sophisticated syndicators and fund managers, anyone, I guess, in the, in, in the investing space recognizes that, um, it's a balance, a trade-off of, um, the, the, I guess the, another way of saying it is the equation is not always just high risk means high return. You can actually balance that out to a degree where you can, you could pull down the risk as much as possible and be live with something that you're comfortable at but also achieving a certain return that you're also hoping to achieve. So it's not, they're not mutually exclusive. They're, you know, there's, 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 an, there's an interplay between the two. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's a risk for everything, but we minimize that risk uh, by multiple ways. So all mitigation. So, you know, hedge, hence the word hedge fund, there's the, you're hedging, hedging. So, there's, there's things that we do, but we're not guessing. These are all very calculated and all very, uh, you know, I just did a podcast on lifestyle by design. So we're designing our lifestyle and our income and where we want to be. And we're doing everything really on purpose. So I just heard a great quote yesterday and I got it in front of me. It says, decide what to do and have the courage to do it. Um, you know, that's exactly it. So make a decision because if you don't make a decision, then someone else is going to make that decision for you, whether that be yeah. an employer, whether it be your income. So, I mean, you, I, I always contend that, that making, not making a decision, that's a decision. That's essentially a decision in itself. You know, the inaction is an, is a decision or the way the not moving forward. Is, it is. is that's, that's that, you know, even though we don't, don't feel like it, like, Oh, I just, I don't know yet. Like you're literally making yeah. a decision, like whatever this next action is, or this next, this, this next direction I should go with my wife with my life is next yeah. you're deciding that I don't have the courage, the knowledge, the confidence, but not to go ahead right. and proceed on that. So let's pivot real quick here, Jess, to okay. um, mentioned a, uh, a book that you're really digging into. We both know <clears throat> uh, marketing. We both know, um, you know, we're not going to touch necessarily on, uh, you know, 506B and 506C, one you can market, one you can't. But uh, we both know that as you get the word out about what you're doing, uh, and like you said, you kind of touched on it like, hey, the, the, your biggest investor, you don't know your biggest investor right now. That's a great segue, that statement into um, a book you've actually mentioned in our, in our pre-chat uh, called Launch with uh, from Jeff Walker. Can you talk to talk to us, share with us some, some things you're learning 
and how even gotten you even uh, got aware of that one that book. So uh, I, I've attended a lot of real estate events. I've attended a lot of boot camps, uh, a lot of conferences, things like that, where everybody always talks about uh, real estate, and then they all, then they talk about, of course, syndication, and they always just make this magical thing where if you have a great deal. You know, don't worry about it. The investors will come, right? Like uh, build it and they will come. Well, that's not necessarily true. You know, there's a couple things that have to happen. And I think you've talked about it before is an investor has to know, like, and trust you, right? And that's typically why your friends and family network is where everybody pretty much starts out with. And, and my own because family, that, because of those three requisites of those Jeff, are yeah. built in, like, no, we don't even realize it until we get into the space. They're like, well, why would someone give me money? It's like, well, cause they know I can trust you. And like, so, well, how do I do that? Yeah. It's like, well, cause they already know you and they are like, right. those things are already there. So we don't even realize it that we're taught it. And then like, how then do we systematize uh, this, this, that those three steps, those three elements to then expand beyond our, our circle that we're comfortable with. Yeah. Like, like my own family never invested with me. Like, you know, um, I'm the baby of the family, right? I'm the youngest. And, and they all look at me as, oh, he's the baby of the family. Little little Jeff, Jeff, little Jeff, Jeff, little Jeff, right? Even though I'm 53 years old, little Jeff, uh, you know, oh, what's he doing again? He's crazy. He's doing all this real estate stuff. He's doing all these deals. But you know, who did give me money was my family in law. And why? Because I married their daughter. (laughs) <laughs> and if I'm going to marry their daughter, then they obviously know, like, and trust me. Right. So that was great. And it's like, okay, my own family won't give me money, but the family in law are one of my first initial investors. So it comes down to that psychology. You know, humans don't necessarily invest because it's the best deal. They invest really based on emotion. And, uh, there's a book out there called launch by Jeff Walker, and it's really about internet marketing. But one of the things that he talks about is the nine mental triggers that everyone uh, has. And if you, you, if you work on those, you can, you know, it'll help you in your money raising. So like, and just list them real quick. And then we can talk about them individually if you want. Now, the first one is authority, right? Um, You want to have authority or credibility. Uh, the next one is, um, I always mess this up reciprocity, right? If I give to someone, they feel like they have to give back. Right. Right. So, and then the third one, of course, is trust. They have to trust me. Uh, the fourth one anticipation. So when you're going to do a launch or you're going to do a deal, you want to build up anticipation for the raise. Right. And then likability is one of theirs. Um, so you have to be very personable, very likable as well as trusting. And then, uh, the next one is people like to be involved in rituals and or events. They like to, that's interesting. That's yeah. Yeah. They're very tribal, right? They like to have, we're let's, let's make it personal, Jeff. We're tribal. We're tribal. You're tribal. tribal. I'm tribal. We're all tribal. Right. 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 And, and with that, then people like to feel like they belong to a community. So one of my taglines on my podcast is building a community of like-minded individuals. 
because I'm not looking to change anybody's mind. I'm looking to for like-minded individuals and trying to bring them into my community. And I try to brand it with the student of money brand to come into my community. So they feel like they're part of the community. Right. And then, and then of course, I think everybody's seen this scarcity, right? It's on sale, but it ends on Sunday. Yeah. Right? <laughs> one there's day two, only. There's two left. There's only one day, you know, <laughs> the first five, you know, all that stuff. Right. 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 And then the next one is social proof or testimonials. Right. It because and and this is perfect with the current news that's going on with uh, FTX. So good, man. So good. Right. Talk. Right. Tell, tell, tell us. Tell us more. So, so obviously the crypto exchange went down, right? And if, and and I follow Bitcoin, and I've been invested, and I I, I have a lot of podcast stuff about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, and uh, blockchain, especially blockchain. Yes. But but social proof and testimonials. The whole reason, one of the reasons that FTX really took off is who got stung by this, right? Tom Brady, his ex-wife, um, Major League Baseball, the stadiums. By bringing on, why do they bring on, you know, uh, when they talk about reverse mortgages and timeshares and, you know, they'll bring on like the, uh, the Hollywood lister and, and talk about, you know, go buy gold. I buy gold. Why do I buy gold? And because those people are kind of testimonials and social proof from somebody that's an authority or someone at least you is likable and that you trust. Yeah. And, and you, you say to yourself, well, if that person says it's okay, it must be, I want to do it too. So that's a huge one. And uh, we could go on for on and on about FTX and uh, all what happened there. And we'll say that that one for another, hopefully another one. The yeah. audience has, uh, is aware of that, but the FTX, you know, it's a large, it was a large yeah. crypto exchange and their, uh, hedge fund, they collapsed. Um, there's a whole saga. If you're watching the news, you know, it'll be old news in a month, but it's a uh, very, been very painful to watch and observe the different, uh, shortcomings. And we have to ask Jeff and I are probably asking because a lot of smart investors are, uh, how did, uh, this company, uh, how, how was, how did this company, how were they able to raise so much money? They, they raised hundreds of millions of dollars. And by the, some of the best firms, at least uh, in name out there. And so we are baffled by how could they, how, how did the due diligence process and how the normal underwriting procedures uh, fail? Maybe they didn't fail. Maybe they just, there's a, there's a black swan event and they just snuck through, or maybe this last element that Jeff spoke about, the social proof was so compelling, was so overpowering to the, the, uh, the, lead, the, the general partners and the principals that they said they looked at a little bit and like, yeah, well, this is good enough for us and we're, we're in. And that happens a lot. Is that what you've seen, Jeff? It, it, it does. Again, people are going to, people may not understand your deal, but especially with a fund, yes. you're betting on the jockey and not the horse, as right. they say. You're betting on the person and you have to know, like, and trust them. Uh, and they have to be credible and they have to be. And if so, you can line all these things up. And and I have seen some some private placement memorandums and some deals out there that are horrible deals, yes. but you know, they're packaged and they got a bow on top and they look nice and they get people, they people raise money. And, and, you know, it amazes me, but because they check all the boxes, um, but it's not all about money too. You know, one of the things when you're, when you're looking at high net worth individuals is, 
they're not necessarily always motivated by money. Sometimes it's legacy. Sometimes it's it's carrying on uh, the the family values and aligning yourself with their goals. Especially with like family offices and other entities, you want to make sure you're aligning. So it's not always about money. It's really being personable and adding value and all of these things that we talk about. Awesome. Uh, is that is that kind of a is that kind of a good wrap on your on the book uh, on launch, uh, Jeff? So again, the book is really for online marketing and yeah. for people that want to sell a product or a service or coaching or anything or a course or whatever it is online. He really talks about like when Hollywood puts a movie out, they just don't put it to the theater. There's a huge commercials. The people are going on the talk shows. There's this, you know, they're selling the toy. They're doing all of these things to get people's anticipation so that when they do launch, they just simply kill it right on the first day and the first weekend's revenues and all of that. Well, again, that's by design. They do it by that. And, and that's really what this book is about. Um, but I think if you're a money raiser, it's really something, I mean, there's a lot of really good books out there. To, but this is definitely one of them because to really think about these nine mental triggers and, and why people do what they do. Uh, it's kind of like win friends, how to, how to uh, win friends and influence. You've got to follow these mental triggers. Absolutely, man. So good. Um, so you've decided to start a mastermind and uh, you kind of, you kind of touched on it. We didn't really make a point yeah. of it, but so the student of money, uh, what, um, and you're actually part of a, you and I actually, we didn't, we haven't connected a lot, but we're actually part of a mastermind right now. Right. And you're, you're, you're wanting to uh, leave that one and kind of explore some other things. Talk about masterminds a little bit, Jeff. Um, so you're going to start with yourself. You're going to do another one. You and I are in one. So, I mean, obviously right. like folks like us kind of circulating this, in this thing, talk to us about masterminds. Why, why would, why would a, um, maybe a beginning investor or maybe just a, you know, maybe a successful person with a W2 job, maybe they want to know more. Just talk to us about that. So masterminds are really about personal development and kind of refueling your emotional tank because things happen and um, the day-to-day lives, like you go to a conference, let's just say you spend a thousand dollars, you go to a boot camp, or you attend a conference for a weekend. Uh, they always want you to take action right away when you get home, because what happens is when you get home, life kind of sets back in and you kind of get dragged down. So I attend a lot of events, a lot of conferences, and I go to a lot of Zoom calls, a lot of masterminds, because I want to get around people with energy and, and like-minded individuals, uh, not only to reaffirm what I'm doing, but I also, I'm trying to, one, I'm a student. I want to learn. I want to learn what other people are doing. So a mastermind is basically one brain is better than, or multiple brains are better than one, right? And I want to get around a lot of people that have different ideas and are doing different things. So I'm a, I'm a landlord. I buy and hold, but I want to talk to the flippers. I want to talk to the wholesalers. I want to talk to somebody that's maybe into storage units. Um, I want to talk to, you know, like one of the first things they do in a mastermind when you walk in, they, they say, okay, who here has a deal and needs to raise money? And half the room raises their hand. Right. And then, and then they say, okay, who here has money and is looking for deals? And then the other half of the room raises their hands. So the first thing they do is to say, okay, on break, you two get together and figure it out if it's going to work or not. Right. You right. know, uh, start dating people in a way that's, you know, looking for deals and to see if maybe there's a partnership 
down the road. So a a mastermind is just a place where you can go and talk about in real estate investment with like-minded individuals. And that, you know, you may go there with a problem and say, what do you think on this? And, And people will start like, for instance, probably a year after that big apartment comp, I lost that big apartment complex. I had yes. lunch with a guy that was a fund manager for a huge institutional insurance company. And he did real estate deals. And in that lunch meeting, he says, all you had to do was come to me. I would have funded that deal. And then yeah. I would have put that deal into bankruptcy and dragged yeah. it through bankruptcy court. And he says, you can't believe the, the power judges in bankruptcy court have, they'll tell yeah. the lender that they cannot foreclose and that they have to reorganize. And he says, I, and, 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 and I would have came in with $10 million and bailed you out. And I'm, and I, and that just killed me again. It killed me. I'm right. like, now you tell me that it's right. over. It's, it's yeah. gone. You yeah, know, that, that speaks to the power of networking. And I'd like to just make one point to your, to your kind of some of the, the points you brought up on the mastermind. And a, a key thing I've been thinking about lately is the ability to learn uh, so much more quickly. So if I learn, you know, maybe 10 lessons in a month on property management, asset management, raising money, and then I joined a group that's focused on those things. And then if there's 10, 10 other people in there and they've all had, they're just like me or similar to me, they've all had their own lessons. Maybe we have some shared lessons, but also as you're accelerating, you're scaling the learning. So instead of taking, you know, a full year, one, two year, one, two, three, four years, whatever, you've con- you've concentrated that learning and those problems into a much, much shorter time frame. And that's why that's one of the reasons why masterminds are and can be very powerful as well, in addition to the, all the things that you mentioned. Right. Right. And then when you go to a conference, you're focused on that one thing for that weekend or two days or whatever it is, and and you're getting it very fast paced, a lot of information in a very short and condensed time, and uh, which is good. Uh, whereas, you know, when you go to your local real estate meetings, it's once a month. And it's right. one, it's a two hours, maybe you know, they always schedule it for an hour, but it usually goes for like two and a half, three hours. And, and to me, that's painful, because you're getting just a very small piece. And then what do you got to do again? Then you got to reschedule for next month. You got to drive there, spend the time, you know, it's just when you can condense it all with like with a masterclass or with going to uh, an online or an event, a weekend event where you can really focus and really concentrate at, on it's, high quality. It's really high, on high quality. quality. Typically it's yeah. high quality information to people that have expertise. They're, they're knowledgeable and they're sharing. And a lot of times they're good. They're often good teachers, which are normally the right. only kind of people that are asked to speak and to present as people that are good at sharing yeah. typically complicated ideas, or maybe just new ideas in a very uh, relatable way. So all those elements come together in again, in those uh, conferences and masterminds and things like that. And, and in each city that has a real estate investing mastermind, there's usually that one guy who, who runs it and, and he's actively running, right? He's, he's knocking out of the park and doing deals. And I'm like, I need to know that guy. I need to have his card. I need to be talking to him. And just like this for property management, there's landlords of our county, Lynn County, and then there's landlords of Iowa, which is a bigger organization. I'm thinking we need to have real estate investing mastermind at the city. And then we need to have a statewide mastermind for all of the leaders in all the cities 
where we can all come together and say, all right, give me Davenport, give me Waterloo, give me Des Moines, give me Iowa City. All the leaders from all these cities come together once a year and have like a state conference kind of thing where we can all talk and mastermind. That's an awesome idea, man. You just kind of keep scaling up because then like- Keep you scaling know, maybe, up. Maybe people are like dealing like with, you know, 10 units and then the people that are like have like a hundred or 200 units. And then like the people that are have portfolios, maybe in cities, you know, they have like a thousand units under management or maybe they're spread across a region. And that's awesome. I love that idea. I love that idea. So what's your, uh, so you, you have a fund going now. Is that true, Jeff, that you have a fund going now? And are you like actively raising inside that fund or is it kind of, is it closed off and you already have the assets, how it, you know, positioned or allocated inside that? No, we're, we just launched it um, this fall. So we're actively raising. Um, Can you give so, us the size and the asset class that you're, what's kind of the, the, the particulars there? So class A multifamily, 200 nice. units or more. Uh, and it's an income fund. So by that, I mean, we are not look by looking at buying distressed properties and doing value add uh, because we don't want to swing hammers. So we are doing more of an income front against stability. We don't want any risk. So we're looking at properties with on-site management, 200 units more class A, like downtown Des Moines. If you've ever been to Des Moines, the downtown area is just a hotbed of activity. It's nice. really, it's very, very nice. it's very, yeah. it's a very nice area. Um, so we want to be in those kinds of markets on existing cash flowing properties so that we don't have to put a lot into it. Uh, it's just well, well management. So that's what I call my income. And then uh, down the road, we may start looking at distressed properties, but I'm past me flip changing, flipping a hammer. I think the next one will be kind of a fund of funds to investing in other people's uh, that swing the hammers and do the rehab work. So what's I'm doing a growth fund or an income nice. fund. Sorry. A growth fund. Okay. okay. Growth. And then uh, what's the, what's the, what's the raise there? So we're looking to raise 28 million and so that we can get about 95, we won't get to a hundred million, but so the goal and what I'm telling everybody is we want to raise a hundred million dollars in, in investment property in class A apartment complexes. And that'll be uh, will that be focused in Iowa? Um, it's going to be focused, you know, right now we're looking at Iowa, we're looking at uh, Kansas City, Omaha, um, and then maybe we may head south if we get, but we're first going to look at right now, I'm, I'm looking heavily in Des Moines right now. So, yes. yeah. um, but it's, it's got to be like Cedar Rapids to have a 340 unit apartment complex or a 200 unit one in Cedar Rapids, the town's just not big enough. It's called a secondary market. Now, the reason that property's here is because it's student housing. And student, that's where I cut my teeth was in student housing. So I'm very familiar with it, but it's its a lot of work. It's a lot of work compared to traditional family housing. Um, so this is not a student housing fund, even though I do have student housing. Awesome, uh, but, that, but that's why it is. It's a secondary market. Like when, when people were, when I was trying to raise money, one of the problems I had with that, like a, a JD, well, I shouldn't say their name, but somebody out of Chicago came <laughs> in to take a look at this property and they said, you know, we're coming in and we want to be out in five years. And they said, who's our buyer, right? They're already looking at their exit, which is, right. yeah, of course you do. So, and they're like, but this is Cedar Rapids, Iowa in a secondary market in a community college. I'm not going to get anybody. Now, if this was Iowa City and Big Ten country, yeah, right. I could get somebody to buy that. Um, so it's, it's, it's hard to find when the, the, the town like Cedar Rapids is 300,000, you know, so I'm looking at towns that are a half a million or more that has job growth, who has, the, uh, the income and 
uh, it's very specific, very niche. So yeah, awesome. that's what we're doing. That's cool. Doing. That's uh, thank you for sharing that. Thank you for sharing that. That's, that's really good. Uh, looking to raising 28 million, going for that hundred million dollars of uh, real estate, you know, inside that fund. That's really very exciting. Uh, just like you said, just launched, uh, this, uh, this fall. So it's an awesome, uh, project to be working on in, in, in the upcoming months here. So, uh, share your mastermind, share your website and the best way of getting in contact with you as we wrap this up here. Yeah. So the best way to get a hold of me is through my website, student of money, all one word, no spaces. And then we are a.org. Okay. Student of money.org. Uh, you can go out there and our podcasts are listed out there. You can find our podcasts on Spotify, our heart radio, Apple, Google, all of your favorite podcast platforms and uh, all my contacts information's out there. So I would say start there. Awesome. Man. So yeah. everything's, yeah, everything's branded on student of money. And then uh, since we started the local one, that's on a website called meetup.com. So if you're brand new looking at real estate and you want to find your local real estate group, Go to meetup.com and just do, you know, local real estate, real estate investing for your city. And, and I don't care if you want to know how to do yoga, yarn, and whatever you're going to do, it's all on this meetup. It's pretty cool. I think it's uh, from a group standpoint, it's better than Facebook. Right. But, right. I but uh, yeah, you can definitely find all of the local real estate. Cause like I said, I travel and go to all of the local ones. I even go to the one in Chicago. Awesome. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, okay. Everyone here at the, at the investing stuff, you should know podcast, but thank you for listening to another great episode. We can bring cool people on like Jeff to talk about all the different things he's doing across the U S he's working a fund, uh, obviously the real estate he shared. And it's, obviously it's a great way to get in contact with him. I encourage you to reach out and check out his website, studentmoney.org. And we'll see you next time. Give the show a like, uh, watch the video, watch the, uh, we'll put a post this on YouTube, of course, uh, give us a written review. We always appreciate that. And we'll see you next time. All right. Thank you, Johnny. All right, guys, that's the end of that interview. I hope you liked it. I thought it was pretty informative. We covered a lot of stuff in there. Um, let me know what you think. Reach out. Let me know what you think. We're going to start doing this format ourselves where we're going to be starting to interview people. I know I've been promising it, but, uh, it's definitely a hot button on my, on my list. And as we mentioned in the show, I also took over the Cedar Rapids Real Estate Investor Meetup. So come check us out. So that's all I got for this week. Um, episode 30 is in the books, and I'm really excited. So hit like, subscribe, check me out on YouTube, and I'll see you next week. <laughs>